arm. We need to put on the whole armor of God. Look at Ephesians 6.13. And last week I said the, the Christian life is, is not to be lived on a playground. It's to be lived on a battleground. Uh, to be lived out on a battleground. And because of that, we need to put on armor, spiritual armor. And I want you to circle in verses 11 and 13, it tells us to put on the armor of God. Circle that word of. It's the armor of God. It's not the armor of Aaron. It's not the armor of you. It's not the armor of man. It's not our armor. It's his armor. We don't get the weapons of our warfare from our armory. We get it from his armory. It is his strength. It is his wisdom. It is his resource in which we stand and fight the good fight of faith. Paul highlights this in Ephesians chapter six. Now, many of us that have been through Ephesians chapter six before we think of a Roman soldier and rightfully so we'll get that for a second. But primarily, Paul wants you to think about the warrior king, Jesus Christ, that was prophesied way back in the book of Isaiah. Paul highlights to the Ephesians church and to us this morning that this armor of God is all about Jesus. Jesus is our armor. The armor that we hold is and wear is gospel armor. In Isaiah, it says this, the Savior comes wearing a belt of truth in Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. The Savior wears the shoes to proclaim the gospel of peace, Isaiah 52, 1 through 10. The Savior wears the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation to deliver his people, Isaiah 59, 17. The Savior speaks with a sharp sword, bringing salvation, Isaiah 49, 1 through 6. And the Lord is our shield that protects his people, Psalm 28. When you think about the armor of God, you think about Jesus. You think about Jesus. He is our king. He is our warrior. He is our savior. So first and foremost, the armor of God is about Jesus Christ. And then also Paul, Paul does highlight the the Roman soldier, I believe, because he's in prison right now. He's writing the book of Ephesians from prison and he's probably surrounded by Roman soldiers. And so he's using a great cultural illustration that the Ephesians would have understood perfectly and that we can understand as well. And as he looks at the Roman soldier, as he looks at the Roman's armor, as we call it now in today's day and age, his kit, he describes what we have available to us through Christ Jesus. But the other thing about this, the reason why Paul describes it as armor is because, again, there's a seriousness, seriousness about our walk, our lives. The seriousness is being lived out, again, not on a playground, but on a battleground. And the most powerful individuals back then were Roman soldiers. And so when Paul says, hey, we're in a fight, but you got the, the battle garb of the Roman soldiers, uh, it told the Ephesians that they were almost invincible. So that's who we are. So let's look at this armor uh, bit by bit. The first we see the belt of truth. Now we know there's three commands in here or in this section in 10 through 20, actually four. And the first one is be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. If we're going to fight this battle again, it's not in our own strength. It's in the, the strength that the Lord provides for us. So Paul commands us to be strong. And then he tells us to, to what? He tells us to put on the whole armor of God in verses 11, 13. And then in verse 14, he says, stand therefore. The command is to stand, to stand firm. To stand firm in what? Having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now we know what a belt is. A belt holds everything together. It holds us tightly. Uh, And so what is the belt of truth here? 
that Paul is referring to. Well, it's specifically not talking necessarily about the Bible and doctrine. Typically, when we think about truth, we think about God's word, and rightfully so. It is the truth. But, but Paul will highlight that later on in verse 17 specifically about the word of God. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. So what is the belt here he's talking about? What is, what is truth? He's saying that we are to be a people to buckle on, to strap on what is true or truthfulness. In other words, the belt of truth is a people that live their lives based on truth. We are to be people of the truth. Now, truth is a concept in, you know, in rational uh, reasoning. But in the scripture, truth is more than that. Truth is not a, a concept of reasoning, but is a person. Uh, tr- truth is not a, a what merely, but a who in scripture. And that who is Jesus. Look back at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. Paul says that truth is what? Is Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, 16, I am the way, I am the truth. Definite article. I am the truth. So truth is just not a a concept to believe, but it's a person to follow. So we love the truth. That's what it means to be a people of the truth. We speak truth. We, we orchestrate our lives around the truth. And that truth is Jesus. So we, we put on, as Romans 13 says, we put on the belt of truth, which is Christ Jesus. Truth is more than a concept. It is a person. So Jesus, if he is the truth, then that means Satan is the liar. We know that to be true in John 8, 44, right? The devil speaks many languages, He speaks many languages to us, but his greatest language is that of a liar. He is a liar. And it's the oldest trick in the book. This is this is Satan's number one, his oldest, his best, his go to trick when he attacks you and me as he does that through lying. He does that through lying. Go back all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter three, right? God creates the world. It's good. Adam and Eve. And then all of a sudden here comes Satan to tempt Adam and Eve. And, and, and Satan says to Eve, did God really say you can't eat from any uh, this tree right here? And Eve rightfully responds, says, yes, we can eat from any other tree, but this one we cannot eat. Why? Because we will surely what? Die. And what does Satan say immediately in Genesis 3, 4? He says, you won't die. You're not going to die. You're actually going to become like God. Liar, liar, pants on fire, Right. He lies. The devil and his demons are going to lie to you. They're going to lie about God. They're going to lie about Jesus. They're going to lie about the Bible and the truths in it. They're going to lie about this world. They're going to lie about the church. They're going to lie about you. The devil is a liar. And especially if you're going through a massive trial, especially if you're in a deep, dark valley, that's when you and I are most vulnerable and that's when the enemy ramps up the attacks and starts to throw lies at you. And listen, this is crucial. In these moments, we have a choice to make. We're either going to loosen up our belt of truth and believe the lies or we're going to tighten our belt up even that much more. You see, when you and I believe the lies, because sometimes we do, It spreads like an infection. It just doesn't stay in one local spot, but it contaminates and consumes all of us. Our heart, our minds, our emotions, 
our, our physical nature even sometimes. And what the lies of the devil always do is it always leads to bondage. It always leads to bondage. And that bondage might be anger. That bondage might be frustration. That bondage might be depression. That bondage might be frust- uh, guilt, condemnation. The enemy, if we believe the lies, it will always lead us there. Whether you're old or whether you're young. I mean, just think about today's culture. In particular, the, the young people of today. Young people will say from anywhere from the teenage years to their 30s. I turned 52 and I am no longer young, right? My kids said, Dad, you're closer to 100 than zero now. I'm like, thank you very much. All right. But I still got game, though. I still got game. I can still hang with you little chairs. But think about the youth, our culture today. We have all the tools, all the resources, all the hip gear, and yet today the youth are more depressed. The suicide rate is highest as it's ever been. The depression is off the charts. There's great confusion about who they are as a person, their gender, their value, their worth. They're walking in despair. Why? Because they're believing the lies that's on the news, that's in their social media feeds, ultimately behind the enemy that is feeding that. So we have a choice when the enemy starts to come in line. Listen, the truth of God, putting on Jesus, will always lead to freedom and never will lead to bondage. If you want freedom, if you want an abundant life, a joyful life, not an easy life. It's found in the truth of Jesus. It's found in putting on the belt of Christ Jesus. John 8.32 says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Who is that truth? The truth is Jesus. So listen, the devil's responsibility, his game plan is lying. Your responsibility, my responsibility is believing. What are you going to believe? What are you going to believe? Are you going to choose bondage? Or are you going to choose freedom? Today, Choose freedom. If you're walking in bondage today, choose Jesus. Choose freedom. Again, he stands offering you this freedom. Choose him. Secondly, we see that now we have gospel bell time. We have a breastplate of righteousness. Look at 14b. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate, uh, the armor of the Roman soldier covered the front, covered the, the main Kind of the the torso of the the soldier protected the vital organs. It protected his heart and it protected his his midsection known as the bowels. His heart was like in those days and age, like the command center of the person. This is where the soul was. This was the the heart of the matter, heart of the man or the woman, what his soul was. So it protected that. But the bowels represented his or her emotions. That's where we feel, you know, we feel it in our gut. So the breastplate was an important piece because it talked about protecting the heart and our emotions. And here, so what is the breastplate of righteousness on the armor of God? Well, we, here we get a, we get a group on, we get a kind of two for one, right? Because first, the breastplate is the imputed righteousness of Christ. Say that word, imputed righteousness. Say it. Imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is talking about our justification. It's talking about our position. This is a one-time act where God the judge looks at you because we're in Christ and he says, you are not guilty. You have been freed. You are no longer a slave to your sin, but now you are a son and daughter of the king because of what Christ has done. You are 
justify. Uh, it's the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For He, Christ, who knew no sin, He took on your sin, He took on my sin, and then He gave us His righteousness so that we might be called the righteousness of God. So that's what it's first the breastplate is. And it's so important for you and me to understand what the imputed righteousness of Christ is in our life. That we are justified. But then... If we're justified, that's our position in Christ. It leads to practice, which is practical righteousness. It leads to sanctification. So this breastplate of righteousness is both. It's two for one. We are justified because of what Christ has done for us. And because of what Christ has done for us, we can now walk in Christ practically. We can live a life of holiness and pursue a life of holiness. This is absolutely foundational for you and me to understand as Christians in this war. Because the enemy is going to try and sow seeds of doubt in this area. Listen, the enemy, this is one of his primary tactics. The enemy is going to try to sow seeds of doubt in your justification by reminding you of your failures in your sanctification. He's going to try and sow despair into who you are in Christ by looking at what you do for Christ. Or more importantly, highlight your failures to follow Christ. That's what he's going to highlight. That's what he's going to bring up. And he's going to be trying to do that. He's going to try and move and wreck your emotions primarily through accusations. Accusations. He's going to come out to you and he's going to accuse you. That's one of his names. He's, he's called the accuser. And he's been doing it since the day of time. Did it with Adam and Eve. Did it with Joseph. Did it with Moses. Did it with Job. Did it with Zach, uh, Joshua and Zechariah 3. He did it with Mary. He did it with Martha. And guess what? He's doing it today with you and me. Revelation 12 says that the, the, the accuser, Satan, sits up in heaven with God and day and night he accuses you. He accuses me. And he throws accusations to you and to me. Now, you guys know what this is like in your life. Tell me if you've ever had this experience. You're just sitting there. You're maybe enjoying a good movie, you know, good food. And everything seems to be going good. Then all of a sudden you start to think about that thing you did yesterday. You, or you start to think about that sin that you were forgiven of five years, 10 years, 20 years ago. And it creeps up in your mind. And it just wrecks you. And you just hear, not audibly, but you hear the voice of the enemy. It's like, you're saved? Are you kidding me? Do you remember what you did? God doesn't love you. He can't forgive that. He accuses you and causes you to go on an emotional roller coaster. It causes your emotions to get bound up like a ball of yarn. Oh, you're a hypocrite. You're a fraud. Ever have that feeling? How do you, how do you combat that feeling? How do you fight that feeling? Well, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, gives us a great way to combat it. He says, you come boldly to Jesus. You, 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 you tighten up the belt. And he says, oh, believer, for despite the whisperings of Satan and the doubtings of your own heart and emotion, Jesus says, you and I are greatly loved. And at that moment, that's the voice that we need to listen to. The voice of the Holy Spirit says, hey, it's not about what you 
can do. It's not about what you failed at. It's what Jesus did for you in His place. It's about Jesus' practical righteousness that He lived the perfect life in your place and then He imputed the righteousness of God to you. So when Christ looks at you, the devil can sit up there all he wants and be in his ear and say, look at Aaron, look at Aaron, look at how he failed, look how he failed. Christ is like, that's a child of the king. That's a son of God. He is holy. He is pure. He is a saint and no longer a sinner. So when Satan comes to try and get to the heart of you and your emotions by reminding you of your failures, you stand firm and you remind him of your future. And your future is glorification. Your future is holiness. Your future is to be with King Jesus from eternity on. Again, not because of your own practical righteousness. We all are going to fail. But because of His perfect righteousness. His imputed righteousness. So that takes us to the third piece. Shoes, the gospel of peace, verse 15. We got the belt of truth on, then we put on the uh, breastplate of righteousness, then we put the, the shoes of peace on. Look at verse 15. And the shoes for our feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, this is the ladies' favorite portion of all the kit that we got, right? Ladies, the shoes. Who likes the shoes in here, ladies? Raise your hand. Huh? Yep, the shoes, right? Right? Who in here loves wearing shoes? Who likes shoes? Who's a shoe guy here or a shoe gal in here? Raise your hand. Raise it high. Be proud. All right, good. Yeah, shoes are important, right? I mean, when you're working or playing, I mean, shoes are vitally important. They protect your feet. And for us to move it, for any of us that have had a blister in here or a broken big toe, I mean, that will wreck you, right? I mean, again, I, I've seen like world-class athletes, studs of men, have their little pinky toe broken and they're like little babies, man. It just balls them up, right? Feet are important. So what's important? Shoes are important. Shoes are vitally important. And here's the thing. Roman shoes, Roman soldier shoes back in that day gave them a massive advantage against the enemy because they had special shoes. They had shoes like no other warriors in the world. Uh, they were sandals, sometimes they were open toes, sometimes they were closed toe. But what the secret was is that the Romans put like small nails under or metal studs on the, on the soles of their shoes for grip, for stability, for footing on all kinds of surfaces, whether it was an incline or a decline, whether it was on grass or on a muddy surface or on some kind of shale. These shoes gave them a stability for them to stand firm, to fight that the others did not have, and they gave them a massive advantage. It gave them the opportunity and the availability to go anywhere and attack from places that the enemy thought like, there's no way that they could come from this direction because of that terrain. The shoes gave them the ability to go in that place to fight and to attack. Now, many of us think that the sword is the only offensive piece of the kit that we have uh, that's offensive is a sword. But no, I say the shoes are also offensive. The shoes are also an offensive weapon, in particular for Roman, in particular for us. It, it, it helps us move the battle forward. It helps us to advance. It helps us to attack. It gives us sturdy footing so that when we are fighting, we are sturdy against the foe that's unbalanced. And that gives us a tactical advantage that we can move. Shoes were offensive and they are offensive for us today. Now, this is kind of a 
interesting sentence. It's kind of oddly worded. Look at it again, verse 15. And as shoes for our feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What does that all mean? Well, let me just, just sum it up for you. Most commentaries believe is that you and me have the gospel of peace. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that brings peace. Therefore, we are to go out and share it. We are to advance the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel of God. So these shoes that we have, they're gospel shoes. They're gospel shoes. They move us forward in the battle. The other thing about these shoes, again, just like the Romans, they could go in all these crazy places to win wars and to win battles. The gospel can go anywhere in this world. There is nothing that the message of the gospel can't go to infiltrate and win people to Jesus. We are called to be ready with these gospel shoes to give an answer of the hope, as Peter says, that lies within you and me. So again, these are gospel shoes. Romans 1.6 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for what it is the power of God unto salvation. Listen, every individual that walks on planet Earth right now wants peace. Wants peace. And the majority of people are looking at it in so many different areas except for the one who can grant them the peace that they need. No one is ever going to have the peace of God until they have the peace with God or from God. You want peace? It's found in Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection. There's that great bumper sticker, right? No peace. No, wait, how's it go? No peace? No Jesus? Nah. All right, scratch that. No peace, no peace. No peace, no peace. I don't know. All right. There you go. No Jesus, no peace. There you go. All right. But it's the gospel that brings that peace. Romans 10, 14 then says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? As it is written, going back to Isaiah 52 that we highlighted in Christ, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet. How beautiful are your feet and my feet that preach the good news. Listen, to me, feet are nasty, right? And feet are ugly. But if you got gospel feet, man, they're beautiful. And I'll listen to them all day long. Amen? Listen. Tomorrow, as you're getting ready, and you're putting on your shoes for the day, remember that you're also putting on other shoes. You're putting on gospel shoes. And you're going to a place, maybe it's school, maybe it's work, maybe it's to a gym, maybe it's to a book club. You're going to a place where there are those that need the peace of God and they don't have it. They're looking for it in other other directions. And you are the beautiful feet that have and can bring the good news of Jesus. So when you're putting those shoes on tomorrow, I pray that one of your prayers is, Lord, as you're tying your shoes, Give me the opportunity to share the gospel with someone today who needs it. Give me the opportunity to invite someone to the Crossing Church. Give me the opportunity to invite someone to a life group, to a Bible study. Or Lord, just just give me the opportunity to make a friend 
so I can tell them about Jesus. Put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Fourth, we see the shield of faith. Verse 16, the shield of faith. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, the Romans had a lot of different kind of shields that they could pick. The two primary shields were kind of a circular shield, kind of like the size of like a truck tire. And those were made for really the, the hand-to-hand combat and really be shifty and move. That's not the shield that they're talking about here. The shield that they're talking about was this massive shield. It was like two feet wide, four feet high. If you guys have ever seen Gladiator, in the beginning scene of Gladiator, you saw the Roman army getting ready to attack the Germanians. Those are the kinds of shields. They were walking together in formation of put up this massive wall. That's the shield that is in mind here. And the thing about the shield, it was so big, it covered up the whole body. And again, they would be next to each other to form this kind of shield wall. Um, and it was called a tedestu. Uh, kind of, they called it the Roman the Roman, it was called the tortoise formation because not only was this shield in the front of them and covered the front of them, so if I was looking at you and you had this shield, I couldn't see your head, I couldn't see your feet, I couldn't, you were generally behind this shield, but then also those behind had the ability to put the shield over on top to form this formation so when the fiery arrows came, they would protect your head. We've all seen that. So these shields covered basically every part that we needed against the enemy. Other quick note to know about the shield. Most of these shields were, were made of, of, of leather and wood with a little bit of metal. And what the Roman soldiers used to do is they used to soak the shield in water. Why? Because we've all seen it, that the enemy would fire uh, arrows, and not just any kind of arrow, arrows that were what? Caught on fire. And so these the Roman soldiers would soak the shield so that when the arrows would come, it would hit the shields, that they would stick, they would be extinguished because of the wetness of the shield. And so this is kind of the shield that we have. And Paul calls this the shield of faith. And again, what the question is, what kind of faith is he talking about? Is he talking about saving faith or everyday faith? And again, it's both. Martin Luther said this, that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, but our faith is never what? Alone. If we are truly in Christ if we save truly by the grace of God, by faith alone, then our position is set, we're justified, and we will live out practically practical faith. So faith, saving faith is always leads to practical faith or living out faith. So when the enemy comes in, and he's got a bunch of different arrows in his quiver. He's got the arrows of fear. He's got the arrows of doubt. He's got the arrows of lust. He's got the arrows of gossip. He's got the arrows of self-righteousness. He's got all these arrows in his quiver, and he's looking at you because remember we talked about it last week. He's been studying you. He knows which arrows to shoot at you. He picks out that arrow and looses it on you. And when he does that, you need to be protected by the shield of faith to quench that arrow when it hits your shield. We've been going through the book of Luke. We'll start off the book of Luke again. Luke chapter 9 next week. But you guys remember the story in Luke chapter 8? about the, the man and his daughter. His daughter was dying. And the man comes after Jesus, says, Jesus, my, my daughter's on her last breath. I need you to come and heal her. And Jesus is like, okay, I will. And on the way, he runs into the hemorrhaging woman. Do you guys remember that story? 
And he gets delayed by the hemorrhaging woman and he heals the hemorrhaging woman. And then all of a sudden, Jairus, his servant comes and he says, hey, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter has died. There's no hope. Might as well just cash it in. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Just walk away. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Jairus. You can almost see it. He kind of looks him in his eye. This father that's devastated. He says, Jairus. He says, fear not. Only believe. In essence, Jesus is saying, Jairus, pick up your shield of faith. Do you know who you're talking to? Pick up your shield of faith and believe and she will be made well. Why? Because the shield of faith opens the door to the power of God in your life, in my life. The shield of faith opens up the door to the power of God in your life, in my life. And it doesn't matter if our faith is imperfect. It doesn't matter if there's some doubt in our faith because eventually there is. We're human. We're going to doubt. So it's not about us and our perfect faith. It's about our faith being placed in the one who is perfect. And his name is Jesus. And when we focus on Jesus in the time of our despair and doubt and the arrows of, are being flinged against us, we need to stand firm behind the shield of faith and believe in God. Let me ask you a question. If you're about to go into battle back then, if you're about to go into battle and this Roman soldier comes up to you and he says, man, I, hey, I know we're about to be deployed. I want to talk to you about what, what war is like. And you look at his shield and it's like, it's, it looks brand spanking new, right? There's no scratches. There's no dents. And you're like, hey, bro, how, how long have you had that sword? And he's like, oh, man, I've had this sword for about, you know, 15 years. Are you going to want to seek that guy's insight on war? To me, I'm looking to the guy next to him whose shield is banged up, whose shield has scratches on it from swords hitting it. I'm looking for the guy who's, who's got burn marks on his shield, who has, who has you know, punctures in his shield from arrows. That's the guy I want to be around. That's the guy I'm looking for for understanding, for wisdom, the one it's like to fight the good fight of faith. That's the one I want to seek after because I know He stood by His shield. It protected Him. That's the guy I want to look to. Who's the guy you want to look to? Who's the woman you want to look to? The one who's been through the wars and has the scars to show it and says, hey, yeah, there were times where it's been tough. There were times that I've been down and out. But you know what? I trusted in Jesus. And He got me through. He was my shield. Again, the shield of faith, our faith, opens up the door to the power of God. Now also, real quickly, note this as well. These shields, we, weren't, we weren't made to use these shields in one-on-one -on -one battle. These shields were used to be made with one another. Again, think of those scenes in those Roman movies where you have these guys walking arm in arm. Their shields are linked to one another. Why? Because there's going to be times in this war that you're going to doubt. There's going to be times in this war that I'm going to doubt. I'm going to doubt God's word. I'm going to believe the lie. And do you know what I need? I need you to hold me together. I need you to lift up my arms. 
I need you to encourage me with God's word. I need you to strengthen my faith. Remember Mark chapter 9 of the Father again? He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. We all have been there. And more times not, God will meet us there. But where He meets us to strengthen our faith is through the one another's, is through you, is through me. So for us to hold up this shield of faith, not only do we hold it up, but I need you to help me hold mine up, and you need me to help you hold yours up. It's a community effort. We need to come alongside one another, encourage one another, and bear one another's burdens, and help one another hold each other's shields of faith up. In other words, we don't fight this world war alone. We need one another. And when we hold up the shield of faith, and it's linked to other Christians, we'll be able to quench all the darts, all the arrows that are fired at you and me. That leads us to, again, the helmet of salvation. So we have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit. Well, not yet, not the sword of the Spirit. uh, The shield of faith, the gospel shoes of peace. And now we have the helmet of salvation, verse 17. And take up the helmet of salvation. Again, we all know what a helmet is. Don't need to go in much detail what a helmet is. It's the same back then as it is today. The helmet protects your mind, uh, your thoughts. The same does for us. It it protects your thoughts, your mind from doubt and despair, from the lies getting into our head. How many of you guys in here have had a head injury of some sort? Maybe you've had a concussion, raise your head, maybe you can, you know, crack your head open, you know, or something, maybe as you've been a kid. Um, Well, I've had a number of concussions, um, and you guys are like, we know, Aaron, we know. Um, (laughs) Thank you for that. Again, building me up, appreciate that. well, one of my concussions I had my freshman year. My freshman year, I was playing football as quarterback, and, and uh, it was a third down play. We're playing in uh, Buena Vista, Sierra, uh, Sierra Vista, about 90 miles from Tucson. Tucson's where our high school was. That's where I grew up. We're playing about 90 miles away in Sierra Vista, and it's a third down play, and uh, I, I get hit, and uh, man, my head, boom, hits the, hits the turf real hard. But we didn't, get the, we didn't get the first down, so it's fourth down. I also punted, so snap, punt. And I, I just hit this punt. Phenomenal punt. Goes 72 yards. Okay? I run off the field, and the coach says, Dude, Santini, that was an incredible punt. And I said, What punt? He's like, What punt? That, that punt? I said, What punt? He said, Santini, where are we right now? I said, Coach, we're in Tucson, Arizona. No, we're 90 miles away from Tucson, Arizona. I said, he said, who are we playing? I said, oh, we're playing Saguaro, which is our rival high school. He's like, no, we're playing Buena Vista. Sandy, I think you need to take a seat. Allegedly, that all happened because I don't remember any of it, you know, because I was going to cuss. <laughs> so who knows we went 72 yards or what. But, but that's what the enemy tries to do. He, he wants to try and hit us in the head. <clears throat> he wants to try and get into our head. He wants to knock us out of the game. And he does that by attacking our thoughts. What we believe is true. He wants to attack your mind. And again, you and I are surrounded not only by an enemy externally, the devil and his demons that are that want to steal, kill, and destroy us, but the devil is also known as the prince of the world that we talked about last week. And, and he owns the philosophies. He owns the culture that we live in. 
He owns everything that is secular. And, he, and he's feeding this secular machine. Well, again, death and destruction. But it's wrapped up in something that looks enticing and beautiful. Again, from the news outlets to the cultural warriors, to the false teachers from pulpits, from social media influencers, they all, whether they know it or not, are promoting false narratives about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, so to speak. And it's in everything except Jesus. And as we already noted, that everything except for Jesus will bring pain, despair, and destruction, and ultimately death. Only Jesus leads to life, liberty, and the true pursuit of happiness. The enemy wants to get into our heads and sow these false narratives on what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is right, what is pure, and what is peaceable. And we need to guard our minds. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.3, he says, prepare your minds for action or gird up the loins of your mind. Back then, most, most men in Israel wore tunics. And tunics was just a long road with like a, you know, a hole where your head could pop in and where your arms could go out. And when it says gird up your loins, gird up the loins of your mind, what a man says, like he, the, 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 uh, an individual, the man would take up the excess and he would tuck it in his belt and cinch his belt so it almost became like shorts and he'd be able to move. And that's what Peter is telling us to do with our minds and our thought life. He's like, gird them up, cinch them up. Those false narratives, those lies, get them out. Focus on the truth. Gird up the loins of your mind with the truth of the gospel. He says, prepare your minds for action. Be sober minded and set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, put on the helmet of salvation. That leads us to our sixth and final physical piece, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, verse 18. Or is it 17? And the sword of the Spirit, verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And again, the Romans had, uh, soldiers had a, a number of swords they could use, but there was two primarily ones that they used. One was called the broad sword. This is a long sword. This is like a, a four to five foot you know, sword. It's a massive sword. Think like William Wallace's sword, right? Think about Aragon's sword, that big, long, broad sword. They would just swing it. It would take all their body to swing it. That's not the sword here. The sword here he's talking about is called the Machaira. It's the Machaira sword. It's a short sword. Uh, think about you know, Maximus in Gladiator. It's a sword that was about 18 inches to 36 inches. It was a short sword. It was, it was able to move around and, and parry blows defensively and also be on a quick counterattack. And, and so Paul says, this is our sword. The sword is the Word of God. This is our sword. It's a sword that when the enemy comes against us, that can parry the blows, that can knock away the, the, the thrust of the enemy, but it's also used to be on the offensive. <coughs> and we could spend months, obviously, talking about every single piece of these armor, but this sword of the Spirit is also when it's empowered by God's Word. It is invincible. It will do what God commands it to do. And of course, the best illustration we know is when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. You guys are familiar with the story. I'm familiar with the story. You know the battle. Satan comes to Jesus and it's one-on-one. He's been 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus is tired. He's hungry. He's vulnerable. And his enemy comes and he gives him three challenges. And he says that Satan attacks him three times. And Jesus parries the blows but also goes on the offensive 
with Scripture. And he says what? It is written. Jesus could have spoke and new Scripture could have happened. But he chose to use what was in Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. He chose to use words already penned by Moses. And when the enemy came and attacked him, he said, it is written. And this is how you and I are to fight. This is how you and I are to fight. We are to fight with God's word. We will defeat the enemy when he tries to strike blows with, against us with the word of God. In other words, you and I need to have some it is written in our arsenal. Do you have some it is written in your arsenal when the enemy comes against you? Like Jesus? How about worrying? How about anxiety? Anyone ever have worry or anxiety? How do you fight that? How do you fight that? Well, hopefully you fight that with it is written. That's a part of it. There's other ways, but this is primarily it is written. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God. Why? Because then that is where the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. That's an it is written. That's the sword of the Spirit. That's how you use it. How about sexual temptation in here? Anyone? Yeah, how about everyone? We all battle this. How do you parry that blow? What's the it is written that you use to, to defeat that strike, that force? How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? This is the will of God for you. That you flee. That you abstain sexual immorality. You don't need to pray about it. It's something you don't need to pray about. It is written. Flee. In all these areas, we're talking about Satan and the spiritual warfare, right? And it's talking about stand, stand, stand. Well, here's one area when the devil comes against you and there's temptation. He says, flee. Run. How about this one? Guilt. Talked about this already a little bit. Do you feel guilty as you look at your practical life? Do you see failure? Do you feel guilt? How can I be a Christian? I did that again for the gazillionth time. There's no way Christ loves me. How do you parry that blow? What is your, it is written for that blow. How about Romans 8? There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You nervous about the future? Got some anxiety about the future? How about Philippians 1.6? It is written that he who began a good work in you will complete it. How about Romans 8.28? That we know that through all things that he who loves God is called according to his purpose will cause all things together for your good. You guys know this is one of my favorites. You hear me always say it almost every Sunday. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Why? Because we know my name is written in the, the book of life and there's nothing that can snatch me out of my hand. Same with you. Your future is secure. Do you have it is written in your arsenal? Is that the word of God in which you parry? How do you, how do you get there? Well, you, you come to a Bible-believing church that preaches God's word each and every week. Amen? You're around other men, other women that open up God's word with you throughout the day, throughout the week. You personally meditate on it day and night. You memorize God's word. <clears throat> so when the time comes that it is written, you can parry those blows. We wield the sword. To wield the sword, you need to know it, meditate on it, memorize it, and talk about it with others. 
Last week, if you guys remembered, I asked you this question. How would you attack you? You guys remember that? How would you attack you? Well, you know how you would attack you. So therefore, come up with some scripture, some it is written to combat those attacks. It's a great practical, practical application you could have today. Well, that leads us to our second point, and we'll rip through this quickly. To be strong and stand firm, we must pray. We must pray. Verses 18 through 20. Now notice in these verses, there's no piece of armor given for prayer. It's just pray. Well, one, because back then, Paul didn't have the technological advances that we do today. They didn't have phones. They didn't have intercoms. They didn't have walkie-talkies, right? So Paul didn't have anything to kind of say, like physically, that the Roman soldier carried to be like, hey, this is what you should look to. So we do, though. So we, if Paul was in today's day writing this, he would say like this. Prayer is our walkie-talkie. It's our walkie-talkie. This is what John Piper says. He says, we are to pray in many ways for many things, but until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishments of wartime mission. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in this world. And he goes on and talks about we have these walkie-talkies. Walkie-talkies are two-way communications. We can talk to the Lord, and He can you know, kind of talk to us through His Word and other means. It's not an intercom. An intercom is one-way communications. How many of you guys remember in school when you hear your name over the intercom, right? Aaron, will you please come to the office? And you're like, oh gosh, here we go again, right? Can you talk back to that intercom? No, so there's no purpose. But that's kind of how we use prayer. We kind of use prayer like an intercom. When we want something for God, God, can you send me something? No, we're in a battle, we're in a spiritual warfare. We need that walkie-talkie, that two-way communication. Ephesians 6 talks about the four, right, the four alls of prayer. The four alls of prayer. If you look in 18 through 20, circle that word all, you'll see it four times. This is a great way in which we can pray, a great strategy on how to pray through the four alls. Because sometimes, think about this. Sometimes someone will come to you and it's almost like in a defeated tone. And they'll say, man, they'll see you going through a struggle and they'll be like, man, I don't know what to do with you. I guess the only thing we can do for you is pray, right? And it almost sounds like it's a defeated thing, like prayer is like some, the last thing on the totem pole that we should do, the last resource. No, according to Paul, it's the first thing that we should do. It's the first thing we should do. It is Prayer is the one thing that connects us to the commander of the Lord Jesus. So we have four alls there. The first one, pray at all times. Pray at all times. There's no one right way to pray or when to pray. It's all times, everywhere, at any time. So whether you're at home, whether you're at church, whether you're at work, whether you're on the school, whether you're in the shower, whether you're in your car, whether you're on a mountain, whether you're in a restaurant, you can pray at all times. Second, prayer, all prayers and supplications. That means there's small requests and big requests and everything in between. There's nothing that God, He wants to hear from you no matter what you have to say. If you're on mountaintop experiences, prayer is thanksgiving, it's praise. If you're in the valley, it's Lord, help, I need you. All prayers, all supplications. It's with all perseverance, the third. It's constantly, faithfully, daily, 
Just like you need to put on your shoes daily, you need to be praying daily, constantly throughout the day. Persevere, endure, pray, pray, pray. So you pray at all times. You pray with all prayers and supplication. You pray with all perseverance. And finally, who do you pray for? For everyone. For all the saints. You pray for everyone. All the saints. And you even pray for those who don't know Jesus. You pray for everyone. And you especially pray for your leaders, as Paul said. Here's Paul asking the Ephesian church from prison to pray for him. Paul is probably the greatest Christian to ever live. He wrote three quarters of the New Testament. And Paul is asking like me to pray for him? Yeah, because he's human just like us. He needs the strength of God just like us. He needs to put on the armor and walk in Jesus just like us. He needs the belt of truth. He needs the breastplate of righteousness. He needs the shoes of peace. He needs the sword of the Spirit. He needs the helmet of salvation. He needs the shield of faith. Just like you, just like me. And I pray specifically, this is my plea to you, that you would pray for me and the leaders of this church, pastors. Because you guys are in the war and we're in the war. And this week alone, I mean, we've talked about just, it's almost every week. We deal with sin. Every week in your lives, in our lives. We deal with heartache. We deal with divorce. We deal with adultery. We deal with worry. We deal with gossip. gossip. We deal with financial needs. We deal with death. We need your prayers to be strong in that moment to strengthen us to preach the Word of God, the Gospel, just like Paul. So pray for, pray for me. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your leaders. And know this, we are praying for you. I got that directory and I'm going through it each and every week. Every Tuesday, we are praying for a lot of you in here. When we get together as our pastoral team, prayer is essential. It's the peace that gives the power to every other portion of our armor. I sum it up. Spiritual warfare ultimately is about God's people following their commanding officer, Jesus Christ, on His mission of advancing the kingdom of God through the gospel and standing firm in the armor of God. We live in a Genesis 3 world. It's tough. It's hard. But we're on our way to a Revelation 21 world where we'll be with Jesus forever and sin and death will all be defeated. And here's the good news as we talked about it a lot last week. We walk. We fight. We stand from a position of victory, not as victims. We already have the winning hand. We've, the, the fought has already been won by Jesus Christ. Therefore, as Paul commanded the Ephesians, he's commanding us, be strengthened by the Lord in this fight, in the power of His might. Put on the four armor of God and stand firm. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word. Lord, there's so much here. We could spend weeks upon weeks. We just scratched the surface an air war and a ground war. And I know that there's people in here on mountaintop experiences and valley experiences. All of us in here need to be equipped with the armor of God. That means all of us in here need Jesus Christ. So I pray that everyone that walks out out the stores today, that they would, again, put on the belt of truth. That they would put on the breastplate of righteousness. They would put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. That they would pick up the shield of faith. That they would wear the helmet of salvation. They would swing the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and that they would pray. In other words, that they would put on you and walk in the, imp- 
the implications of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.